to read him from Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everybody. Please do be seated, and a very warm welcome to you all this evening. I'm Will, I work on staff here, and tonight we're going to visit the story of the Magi, the wise men. It's a story that many of you will be familiar with, perhaps over-familiar. The wise men have become almost sentimentalized Christmas figures, often portrayed as three bearded old hippies on camels. But they were so much more than that. The Magi, a word that has its roots in the Persian language, were at their peak a priestly and aristocratic caste. They had emerged in Babylon, but came to the fore during the later Persian Empire. And as a caste, they were highly influential. The root of the Persian word means the powerful ones. And at points in history, their role was actually to select kings. The Magi were the kingmakers of the East. And during the Jewish exile in Babylon, several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, the Magi had been exposed to the Jews living there and had heard the Jewish prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming King. They'd been influenced by Jewish exile Daniel, described in scripture as the chief of the Magi. They were known for their knowledge of astronomy and astrology and would look to the stars to discern who to crown. At the time of Christ, the Magi continued to enjoy great influence and wealth. They were invited to an audience with King Herod in Jerusalem, and they gave incredibly expensive gifts to Jesus. It was these men, these powerful ones, these kingmakers, who traveled from the east searching for Jesus. They crossed the desert not knowing exactly where they were going, but trusting that God was guiding them by his star. And it would have been a long journey. Persia was well over a thousand miles from Bethlehem. It could have taken the Magi months to get there. Miles and miles of dangerous roads, wild animals, bandits, local politics, 
a difficult journey and a costly one, and they may have traveled with a large retinue to guard their wealth and gifts. Hundreds may have come with them, cooks, servants, slaves, soldiers, full Middle Eastern pomp. These were the powerful ones, the Persian kingmakers. Yet it must have felt like such a gamble, traveling all that way across deserts for a child they may never find. I wonder how many times they questioned what they were doing or were tempted to turn back. How many times they felt lost. But they pressed on to find Jesus. They had set the compass of their hearts towards him. I once found myself lost in a desert in my 20s. I spent some time trekking across the Sahara on a camel with a group of Tuareg tribesmen with their distinctive blue headdresses. And one night I went out for a wee and it was a dark night and I was sure I hadn't wandered far, but it slowly dawned on me that I didn't know my way back to the campsite. So I started walking in circles, then bigger circles, then ever bigger circles, until it really dawned on me I was actually lost. And I started to panic. And I didn't want to keep walking in the darkness in case I walked even further from the campsite, which was clearly nowhere to be seen. So I sat down on a random sand dune, one of millions, thinking to myself, is this it? Is this the end? Am I going to win some kind of Darwin Award? There was nothing I could do. So I lay down, and when the light later dawned, I sat up in that vast wilderness, alone. I checked, I was still alive. I looked around at the now illuminated landscape. And then I saw that the sand dune I was perched on was only about two meters from the campsite. I thought I was lost, but the campsite was right there. There may be some of you here tonight who are feeling completely lost in life. Like you're wandering in a desert and you don't know the way out. Many of us have experienced something like that at some point in our lives. But you may discover that however lost you're feeling, that Jesus, like my campsite in the desert, is only one step away. Wherever you are on your life journey, particularly if you're just exploring faith, my encouragement is this, set the compass of your heart toward Jesus. In the Old Testament, God promises this, if you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. Journey towards Jesus. And not only will you find him, you will actually also find yourself. You can be lost in the deepest desert in life, but it's impossible to feel lost when you come into the presence of Jesus. Sometimes when you're feeling lost, the best thing to do is simply worship. When the Magi finally arrived in Jerusalem to ask for directions, they had just one question on their lips, one question for everyone they met. Where is the king that we might worship him? They had no other agenda. They were going to meet a young child who could do absolutely nothing for them, traveling for months not to gain anything in return. They simply came 
to worship? Where is the king that we might worship him? If you have a heart to worship, then no matter how lost you may feel, you will find Jesus. And the Magi did find Jesus. In Jerusalem, they were pointed towards Bethlehem, the place the prophets of old had identified as the future birthplace of the Messiah. And when the Magi get there, they see the star again over the house where Jesus was. And entering in, they bowed low at his feet. What a sight that must have been. Grown men of wealth and influence, the Persian powerful ones, in all their splendor, bowing to a small child. Have you seen anything like it? Bowing is what you do when you come before a king. And here they bowed low before Jesus. They recognized his royalty, his majesty, his lordship. They discerned his glory. They were before the actual presence of Christ. So the wise men bowed down low before him. It's always wise to bow low before Jesus. And this moment was his coronation. The Magi were kingmakers, and here they crowned Jesus as king. And they brought Jesus extremely costly gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The passage says the Magi opened their treasures They opened their treasures. They brought Jesus the very best they had. Their devotion was wholehearted. Their adoration was true. Genuine worship of Jesus comes to a place where it holds nothing back. It's radical. It's abandoned. It's generous. It's an opening of the treasures of our heart to God. And what of these three gifts? I believe they speak something. They speak of something that we ourselves can also bring Jesus. The first gift of the Magi was gold. Few things are more precious than gold. Gold represents the manifest glory of God. The Jewish temple was laden with gold and it was the house of God's glory. The Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with gold and the cloud of God's glory rested upon it. Jesus sits on a golden throne as the king of glory. Gold represents the glory. It's the manifestation of God's presence, the outward radiance of who he is. And we obtain this gold in our lives as we grow in our knowledge and our experience of God's glory. The gold is found in the depths of his presence. Do we carry that gold? Have we encountered the divine? Have we spent time before the throne of God, the throne of glory? Have we experienced Jesus in his radiance? Have we cried out to God like Moses, show me your glory? Have we prayed like David, I love your house, the place where your glory dwells? Have we pressed in in prayer to apprehend more of him? Have we sought him and found him over and again? The greatest treasure I believe we carry on this earth is our personal history of encountering Jesus. Our knowledge of him is gold. Our relationship with him is gold. And every time we encounter his glory, it forms gold in us. Our hearts become refined like gold coming out of the fire of his presence. 
do we have that treasure, a heart that has encountered the divine? Do we have that gold to bring, the gold of knowing him? The second gift of the Magi was frankincense. Frankincense was burned every morning and evening on the altar of incense in the temple, and it produced a sweet-smelling aroma. The Hebrew word for frankincense is labana, which means white. Frankincense was white, and its smoke created a pure white cloud, representing worship that is holy before God. Frankincense cries out, holy, holy, holy. When you encounter the glory of Jesus, all you can do is bow low and cry out, holy, holy, holy. When Isaiah had a vision of God on his throne, the angels were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They cried holy at the sight of his glory. Frankincense comes second in this list of gifts because worship will always follow a revelation of his glory. Frankincense will always follow gold and it is a sweet-smelling aroma before God. Our lives can carry that aroma, that fragrance of heaven. The apostle Paul wrote of believers having a a sweet-smelling aroma before the Lord an aroma which arises from a life wholly given to God in worship. Think of Mary of Bethany as she poured out her oil, her perfume on the feet of Jesus in deep devotion, filling that house with her fragrance. She will be remembered forever for her worship. Her incense moved the heart of Jesus. For the wise men, the Meiji, their whole journey was a fragrant offering to God. They carried that sweet-smelling aroma of devotion as they followed the star, as they left the world behind to pursue the presence of the king. The wisest thing we can do is worship. Will we let our hearts be an offering to him? Does our worship have that fragrance? Do we carry that incense For the king, do we have that gift to bring? Last of all, the wise men brought Jesus myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. First you encounter the glory of Jesus, then you worship him in response to his glory. Then you die to all but him. You die to everything that would draw you away from experiencing his glory. Myrrh was an embalming oil and speaks of death. It represents dying to ourselves, dying to sin, dying to the world, dying to distraction, dying to anything in our lives that would pull us away from experiencing the glory of Jesus. Anything that would block our vision of who he is as king of glory. The wise men experienced this myrrh, this dying to themselves on their journey. Months of travel, a great expense and inconvenience to find a baby they believed was king. They had to die to what others thought, die to the very real risk of failure, die to the expense, die to their lives back in Persia in order to finally encounter the immediate presence and glory of Jesus. 
Myrrh represents dying to everything but Jesus and it is highly prized by Jesus. Do we have that spice to bring the king? Jesus was given the gift of myrrh at the very beginning of his life because it was his destiny to die for our sins on the cross. Myrrh is taken from sap that flows from a tree. You get the myrrh by wounding the tree and Jesus was wounded on a tree for us. He died to open the door for us through his broken body into a realm of experiencing his glory. So tonight is Christmas Eve, tomorrow is the birth of Jesus. If you are coming to Christ for the first time, then come empty-handed. Come as you are. The only gift he wants from you is to bring your presence into his presence. He just wants you. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, then come with your gold. Come with your frankincense. Come with your myrrh. Come with the treasures that Jesus has formed in your heart and worship him with your all. He is the worthy one. He is the holy one. He is the savior of the world. And all of these gifts find their summation in him. They all point towards who Jesus is. Church Father Oregon in his work, Contra Celsum, described the three gifts as gold as to a king, incense as to a god, and myrrh as to one who was mortal. This is the one we worship this Christmas, Jesus, the glorious king, mighty God, and life-giving savior.